Good evening, and welcome to the Midnight Owl. I'm your host, Tim. This podcast is proudly a part of the Not After 30 Podcast Network. You can contact the Midnight Owl on Facebook on the Not After 30 Podcast group, on Instagram, the Midnight Owl Podcast, and if you have a story to share, beardedandboard at gmail.com. Good evening, and welcome to the Midnight Owl. I'm your host, Tim, and this week we are discussing a modern urban legend in episode 3, The 27 Club. I've never really been into music. By the time I was in high school, people were already beginning to identify themselves by the genre of music they listened to. You know what I mean. The kid in the rancid sweater. The country boy that lived his whole life in a suburb. Or just in general, kids looking for an identity or a way to express themselves through the current music trends at the time. It always made me feel uncomfortable, like an outsider to the contemporary culture, when the conversation of what they were listening to came up. The only thing I could contribute was that I had a disused CD player and that my collection consisted of three discs, Chumbawamba, Aqua, and Sum 41. Not really information I would have wanted to volunteer. What captivated me were the stories each of these artists had, how many sacrifices they'd have to make, the integrity of what they produced, the hidden messages of their lyrics, the life on the road, and their almost inevitable downfall. The good die young. Only the young die good. The candle that burns twice as bright burns twice as fast. Or as James Dye put it, so many people die young, I hope that's unintended. The 27 Club is a group of individuals who died suddenly at the age of 27. The qualifications for joining the 27 Club shift over time. The most generally accepted parameters are that the individual must be an artist. The death is usually a violent end like murder, suicide, or transportation related. It's a continuation of an older myth called the Curse of the Ninth which is a superstition connected with classical music. It is the belief that a ninth symphony is destined to be a composer's last, that the composer will be fated to die after writing it, or before completing a tenth. To those who believe in the curse of the ninth, a composer who produces a ninth symphony has reached a decisive landmark, and then to embark on a tenth is a challenge to fate. The first widely accepted entry into the 27 Club is Robert Johnson, a blues singer who had little to no notoriety in life, leading to scattered retellings of a talented and mysterious figure. Johnson was from Mississippi, his family was forced from their home by a lynch mob. He bounced between Memphis and other locations throughout his childhood. Robert Johnson married a Miss Virginia Travis that passed away in childbirth. His relatives believed it was divine punishment for singing secular songs devil music. His second wife also passed away in childbirth, reinforcing the legend of a cursed man. 
These tragic events led him to become a walking musician, a musician that has no home but wanders from town to town, club to club. During the walking musician phase of his life, he changed his name multiple times, seducing a woman at that night's performance to have a place to sleep. He could hear a song once and be able to repeat it, winning over audiences by playing whatever style of music he intuited they wanted to hear. Known as a friendly and kind man with a predilection for wandering off. After his death, the continued release of his recorded work would see Johnson become recognized as a master of his art. Johnson's admission to the 27 Club comes with as much mystery as the man's life. Sonny Boy Williams claimed to have been with Johnson at the country dance where he met his end. Johnson was flirting with a married woman and was offered a bottle of whiskey. Sonny knocked it out of his hands and warned him to never drink a bottle he hadn't seen personally opened. Johnson's response was curt, that he should never knock a bottle out of his hands again. Once more, he was offered the bottle of whiskey, which he took and drank. He became sick that evening, so ill that he had to be walked back to his room. His death was protracted and terrible. He slipped away over three days. Faust is the protagonist of a classic German legend. John Faustus was an alchemist, astrologer, and magician of the German Renaissance. After his death, people became fascinated with his life, much like Robert Johnson and the rest of the 27 Club. The story is that Faust is highly successful, yet dissatisfied with his life. Faust makes a pact with the devil, exchanging his soul for unlimited knowledge and worldly pleasures, at the cost of an early demise. Faust has become an adjective, Faustian, meaning a situation in which an ambitious person surrenders moral integrity in order to achieve power, success, or fame, at the expense of shortening their life. What drew my attention to Johnson's life is the stories of where his talent comes from. It suggests he molds perfectly into a Faustian archetype. A friend of Johnson's, while being interviewed, said that he was an okay harmonica player and terrible guitarist. That is until he disappeared for a few weeks and returned gifted with unnatural musical talent. Rumors began to circulate that while at the crossroads somewhere near the Dockery Plantation at midnight, Johnson was approached by a large black man that took his guitar and tuned it. The large man played a few songs and returned the guitar to Johnson, giving him mastery of the instrument. This man was the devil, and by accepting the guitar, he was surrendering his soul for the ability to play blues music. There are those that suggest the story has been misinterpreted. That the devil in these songs and in the legend may refer to the African trickster god Legba, himself associated with the crossroads. In the Haitian voodoo belief, Papa Legba is a spirit that is an intermediary between the Iowa spirits and humanity. He stands at the spiritual crossroads and gives or denies permission to speak with the spiritual realm. He's known for facilitating communication, speech, and understanding. Papa Legba has knowledge of all human language. Imagine for a moment then a new interpretation of the events. Johnson's life was loss and grief that was given the gift of song by a god or devil to express that pain to the people. This is what would popularize blues music that would later create or influence all music, most notably rock and roll and punk. Johnson, however tangentially, has touched lives the world over. He has impacted all genres in major and minor ways that all stem back to this deal. I wonder if all artists that build upon this tradition enter into the bargain as well. I want to quickly touch on other notable members of this macabre club. 
each a master of their craft, each gone far before their time. Brian Jones, the original leader of the Rolling Stones, was heavily influenced by blues music. He developed a drug and alcohol problem as the band took on a new direction. These issues led him to become more and more unreliable. He died less than a month after being kicked out of the Rolling Stones. He was found drowned in his pool under the influence of drugs and alcohol around midnight of July 3rd, 1969. His death was listed as death by misadventure. Stone's bass guitarist Bill Wyman said, He formed the band, he chose the members, he named the band, he chose the music we played, he got us gigs, he was very influential, very important, and then slowly lost it. Highly intelligent. And just kind of wasted it all and blew it all away. Theories surrounding Jones' death have surfaced and resurfaced throughout the years, including one that Frank Thorogood, a contractor on the property, murdered him and later confessed to the Stones' driver. Tom Keylock, the driver, denied this. The police refused to submit to pressure and will not reopen the case. Jimi Hendrix The greatest electric guitar player in the history of rock music. By age 15, he got his first guitar, learning from blues legends like Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, and Robert Johnson. Hendrix was a hard drinker that progressed from cannabis and hashish to cocaine, heroin, and LSD. Hendrix had aspirated on his own vomit, causing his death on September 18, 1970. During Howe, a friend of Hendrix said Jimmy would take a handful of shit, not even knowing what it was. He was said to have had a white lighter in his possession at the time of his death. Janis Joplin Janis Joplin was a powerful rock, soul, and blues singer and songwriter. Bullied in high school, she found solace in her music as a way to express herself. At the University of Texas in Austin, Joplin had been voted ugliest man on campus by frat boys. During her young life, she became a heavy drinker and experimented with psychedelics, speed, and heroin. She once said, I'm a victim of my own insides. There was a time when I wanted to know everything. It used to make me very unhappy, all that feeling. I just didn't know what to do with it. But I have learned to make that feeling work for me. I'm full of emotion. I want to release. And if you're on stage, and if it's really working, and if you've got the audience with you, it's a oneness you feel. Janice failed to show up for recording her vocals to an already existing instrumental track, Buried Alive in the Blues. Her band manager went to look for her at her hotel. She was found dead on the floor beside her bed from a heroin overdose, possibly complicated by alcohol. It's believed that she was given heroin much stronger than what she was used to, since several people that her dealers sold to that week died of overdoses. Her death was October 4, 1970, 16 days after the death of Jimi Hendrix. A white lighter was said to be in her possession at the time of her death. Jim Morrison was a preeminent rock musician and poet of the 60s and early 70s, with his band The Doors. Morrison took a months-long respite in Paris to focus on writing and poetry after the recording of what would become his last record, Riders on the Storm. On July 3, 1971, he was found dead by his longtime girlfriend, Pamela Corson, in the bathtub of their Paris apartment. His death was listed as heart failure. No autopsy was performed as none were required by French law. A white lighter was listed as being in his possession at the time of death. Kurt Cobain, alt-rocker and leader of the band Nirvana. Nirvana would become the flagship band of the grunge movement and the voice of a generation. 
This fame did not sit well with Cobain, feeling that people did not understand his artistic message. Cobain struggled with addiction to heroin and experimented with LSD and other drugs. He was in constant pain from an undiagnosed stomach condition, now speculated to be Crohn's disease. Kurt needed the heroin to dull the pain enough to get make it through the day. Bipolar disorder and struggles with addiction led him to commit suicide by firearm on April 5th, 1994. There has been persistent rumors of murder since the time of his death, most theories suggesting it was his wife, Courtney Love. The conspiracy theory has continued to resurface over the years with people pointing to the lack of blood from a head wound. His level of intoxication would not allow him to pull the trigger. His suicide note had lines added to the bottom, written in what experts found to be suspiciously different handwriting from the rest of the note. Four latent prints on the gun were found to be unusable. The pen used on the note and the note itself did not have any fingerprints on them. Kurt's suicide note was to Boda, an imaginary friend from his childhood. To Boda, speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who obviously would rather be an emasculated infantile complainee, this note should be pretty easy to understand. All of the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the years, since my first introduction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with the independence and the embracement of your community, has proven to be very true. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now. I feel guilty beyond words about these things. Following an acknowledgement and thank you to his fans, there was a passage directed towards his wife. I have a goddess of a wife who sweats ambition and empathy, and a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be, full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point where I can barely function. I can't stand the thought of Francis becoming miserable, self-destructive death rocker that I've become. The suspected addition to the note was, Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis. For her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you, I love you. Cobain's mother, when she heard of the death of her son, said, Now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join that stupid club. A white lighter was said to have been found on his person when his body was discovered. Other notable members of the 27 Club are Ron Pigpen McKernan, founding member of the Grateful Dead, passing in 1973 of complications from alcoholism. Alan Blind Owl Wilson, lead singer of the Canned Heat, died of barbiturate overdose. D. Boone, lead singer and guitarist of the punk band Minutemen, died when his van left the road when the driver fell asleep. He was in the back sleeping and was launched out of the vehicle, breaking his neck. Amy Winehouse passed in 2011 of alcohol poisoning after a public battle with drug and alcohol addiction. Visit the forever27club.uk if you want to see a full list. Mac Miller Mac Miller passed four months before he would have entered the 27 Club a thought that troubled the young rapper in life. In the song, Brand Name, the lyrics make mention to the 27 Club, saying that, No goodbyes, no hellos. You don't want this life, I live. You'd rather have the wife and kid. Shooting dice with Jesus Christ, put 20 on the midnight. To everyone who sells me drugs, don't mix it with that bullshit. I'm hoping not to join the 27 Club. 
Just want the Coke dealer house with the velvet rug. F the world. There's no one else but us. White lighters. Cannabis culture is one that is highly ritualized. When something breaks the ritual, it can be seen as a bad omen, not unlike many other superstitions or rites. The white lighter curse is a common stoner myth that has been around for decades. The myth comes from the idea that white lighters are bad luck, that you will break your favorite pipe, get busted, or in some cases, have caused yourself such bad luck that it would result in injury or death. As I mentioned throughout the episode, a white lighter was said to have been in the possession of Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, and Kurt Cobain. The website Snopes wrote an article on this and detailed how the white lighter curse was a myth. The curse was created by cannabis users, because originally there was only two colors, black and white. When a cannabis user packed down their bowl using a white lighter, it would leave ash and resin on the end of the lighter. Police would use this as evidence when searching a suspect as a reason to conduct a more thorough search. When looking at the white lighter curse and the connection to the 27 Club, Snopes determined that Bick didn't produce a disposable lighter until 1973, two years after the deaths of Hendrix, Joplin, and Morrison. It was possible that they had another brand of disposable lighter, but that would have only been available in France. No death certificate or other documentation exists that says Hendrix, Joplin, or Morrison had a white lighter in their possession at the time of death. The photos released from the Seattle Police Department in regards to Cobain's death shows a pink lighter near some of his belongings, a multicolored lighter in his heroin kit. No white lighters are shown or listed. In 2011, the British Medical Journal conducted a statistical analysis of the 27 Club. Although musicians have a higher chance of dying young, i.e. in their 20s or 30s, which is two or three times higher than the general population, there is no evidence that the age 27 was at any higher risk. The life expectancy of musicians has been investigated based on the style of music in which the person performs. Blues music is having a higher rate in heart-related deaths at 28%. Jazz folk musicians getting cancer is over 30%. Punk, metal, and rock having a higher percentage in accidental or suicide-related deaths. But the standout being rap and hip-hop. They have a 51% chance of death by homicide. Until I wrote this episode, I never really put into perspective how truly young these people were. For some reason, I always held them in a certain light. They were more worldly or experienced than I could have ever been. I'm 30, and looking back at these titans, who were only 27 at the year of their passing, it humanizes them. They were just kids. The common debate is if they would still be memorable if they had continued to live and create. They died at the height of their career, creating a legend, giving some kind of authenticity to their music. That gift held them out in front of the world as an example of who their generation was and gave a voice to their triumphs, frustrations, and failures. Maybe the gods have touched them in some way that allowed their voices to be heard. The cost of this bargain was the pain and inability to connect with those around them when not performing. 
that through music, they communicate emotion in a way that could help so many feel connected and in many cases heal. For my money, though, it was their personal strength, the courage to put themselves out there, and the Herculean task of honing their skills into what would become their art is what made them the legends for what they will be remembered for. Creative types inspire me, even if their message was never meant for me. It's the spark that seems innate to them. I've always wanted to be creative. I've always wanted to understand how that spark works, so that I could learn how to hold on to it for myself. As I begin this experiment into creation, I'm beginning to understand that there is no barrier. It's up to the individual to decide if they're comfortable as the audience, if they want to feed that spark, become the creator. All that being said, I wonder, if I was approached by Papa Legba on the crossroads, he took my microphone and mixer, fiddled with the dials, how many years would I give up for this dream? To learn and relate the stories of the supernatural and occult, to bring a little magic and wonder back to the world. Devils are tricky, so I guess the first terrible question I'd have to ask is how many years do I have left? so I know how much I'm giving up. Even then, if that number wasn't high enough, I'd be pretty pissed for having to know about it. Thank you for listening. I had a great time writing this episode and promise it won't be such a long wait until the next release. I want to give a shout out to some of my first listeners. Thank you, Andy, Mo, Attic, Bree, Samaya, Jess, and Zach. I appreciate the continued support. If you want to reach out to me, you can post on the Bearded and Board Facebook page, or you can email me at beardedandboard at gmail.com. B-E-A-R-E-D-E-D-A-N-D-B-O-R-E-D at gmail.com. Have a great night, and until next time, don't forget to owl at the moon. Hoot hoot.